course. Yeah, this is cool. Well, I'm happy to do it. Well, of course, and of course, people are going to want to know about making bagpipes, and I, I hope that we get to talk a lot about that. But before we get there, I kind of want to know how you got to making bagpipes. Like, from the day you were born up until the day you first approached a lathe, what happened in between those two points of time? Um, a lot of people will know your dad. He's kind of bagpiping royalty here locally. Uh, yeah. I, I don't imagine, like, knowing him a little bit, I can't imagine that you might have grown up with, like, sort of a, like, a, a Beethoven, like, drunk father comes home at night and wakes you up in the middle of the night and makes you play your scales kind of situation, but what <laughs> what was it like growing up in a bagpiping family? Because that's not something I personally have experienced. Yeah, so, um, when I, when I teach students, I always give them a disclaimer that I don't remember learning. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, like I sort of, uh, by the time I was, you know, five or six, I was already playing a practice chanter. Were there, were, were like junior size practice chanters a standard thing that back then, or like, were you just spreading your fingers real far? No, they, they had small practice chanters. I even have a really tiny set of like bagpipes too Really, <laughs> that I would carry Aww. during parades. <laughs> yeah. So they were they were pretty cool. And yeah. They just they all they just took practice channel reads, and I could blow in those. So did the were the drones functional too, with just some practice channel reads in them? Yeah, mostly Fun. they didn't sound good, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> luckily it they, wasn't too loud, huh? <laughs> yeah, they worked. Um, so yeah, like I just grew up playing. I grew up around it all the time. Um, so uh, were yeah, you, were you always there in the Bountiful Utah area, or had you lived elsewhere before? ended up where you are now no i i grew up in the bountiful area yeah um since i was small the biggest move in my life was when i was two years old we moved next door did you really <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah i just grew up here in bountiful and awesome yeah well um, what did you what was it like what do you remember from learning like do because I, I know I have kids and I've been a kid. I know that there can be rebellious periods and other periods of interest. Like, have you ever at some point felt like this is a, a Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader situation? Or, or like, like at what did you at any point go like, you know what I'm going to do to rebel? I'm going to I'm going to win competitions. Or did you ever throw your pipes away and be like, you know, screw you, dad. I'm never playing pipes again. <laughs> um, let's see. Not really. Um probably what distracted me from piping the most was sports. I was really into soccer. Oh, sure. I played a lot of soccer. And uh, so when I was probably around 10 to about 13, um, I didn't play much bagpipes. Mm. That was sort of my rebellious stage. And then uh, about 13, I, I started to really get back into it a lot and mm. split my time. A little bit more and then when i was in high school i decided i didn't like sports as much anymore and i was gonna devote my passion to just bagpiping mostly yeah so i i don't i don't have a super strong grip on the anatomy of where what how it was utah pipe band that split and wasatch formed but i feel like that didn't happen until you were at least nearing adulthood, if not in adulthood, right? And so were you playing with Utah Pipe Band from a small age or was it something else? Yeah, I was. I was playing with Utah Pipe Band from a very from very young. And the split actually happened when I was serving an LDS mission. Um, 
so, so you I came, came home, home to a different world to huh? a different world yeah. <laughs> yeah uh so yeah that was that was interesting <clears throat> yeah. um but yeah uh so yeah i was yeah uh, 21 when it happened mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah when that split happened so yeah gotcha and and i if i'm not mistaken you have traveled to for playing your pipes and stuff like that like tell, tell me about has it has it all been competition have you done other stuff like what's your uh what's on your piping cv um yeah my, i traveled a lot just to playing competitions when mm -hmm. i was a teenager my buddies and i used to just you know load up one of our trucks and then go to california to play in competitions for the weekend and just sleep in the truck yeah. um so I had a lot of fun doing that. And then in 2008 and 2009, uh, Justin Howland and myself, we uh, played with Triumph Street in their first two years as a grade one band. So That's we so traveled cool. up to Vancouver quite a bit during those two years. And then we played in both the North American the first year and then the World Championships the second year with that band. And that was uh really life-changing for my bagpiping career at least i don't doubt it i i've i i become i became i've only become aware of triumph street as they've come into the limelight of winning competitions you know um am mm -hmm. i mistaken in thinking that they have since disbanded are they still around i'm actually not sure i think they probably are disbanded but yeah, yeah that happened a few years after i had uh stopped playing with them that's probably why right like, yeah. Like, yeah without ross around what have oh, yeah. you been doing <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> yeah i don't know what happens exactly with that um I, I i more know about how they formed than how they uh you know petered out so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well now what like my, personally i've i've competed with grade five grade four and juvenile bands yeah that's that's been my ex personal experience i've heard people talk about competing with grade one and grade two bands as it being like significantly more intense i i don't remember when wasatch or utah has had a grade two band have has either band ever had a, a grade one competition band uh no okay i i didn't i didn't think no. they had so so for you going to triumph street was this like was there a, a lot of sh like uh, I was gonna say culture shock? Of course, it's based in a different place geographically and stuff like that. But I mean, like cultural sh culture shock in in as far as like how much you practice, uh, what it, what it's like to go to rehearsal, that kind of stuff. Uh, was there a big change there for you? Yeah, quite a bit. Um, it was definitely a lot more intense, um, um, but not necessarily in a bad way. Actually, that's you know partly what made it fun. Uh, but yeah, you just had to be on your toes a lot more and, um, yeah, you're significantly more nervous about messing up, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would say. So yeah, um, it, it was really intense, but, um, also just super amazing. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, the intensity was such that like, I mean, it, since it was kind of a positive intensity, is it something that a person could continue doing year after year? in perpetuity like forever or is the nature of a grade one competition band such that people really kind of have to cycle through every few years because it's hard to keep up with how intense it is i i don't know exactly i i would i would be able to do it yeah <laughs> in perpetuity and i think a lot of people could but it's definitely not for everyone yeah i would say that yeah 
is that an open invitation to any uh, any grade one uh, pipe majors who happen to be listening that if they need another piper, uh, Rothmore is available? Because <laughs> I think you're busy right now, right? What are you doing with Wasatch? We're pretty busy. Like, hopefully, you know, I, my goal is before I die, we can get a band from the Utah area to get into grade one. And you guys are knocking on the door. You're, you're in grade two, right? We're in grade two. I wouldn't say knocking on the door, but you know, we're uh, we're we're plugging away. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Do do you, uh, I, I've always been impressed by Wasatch. It's kind of like um, it's this the the well-oiled machine is the metaphor that always comes to my mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's the way it looks from the outside, at least. I'm sure that, you know, you have to uh, do plenty of, of hard work on the inside. But it seems like there are a lot of really great systems in place. Um, so you, you're you the pipe major of the grade two band, right? Yes. Do you feel like the the organizational structure of the, that Wasatch has built up over the years um, maybe takes some of the burden from the mind of the pipe major so you can focus on music? Or are you spending a lot of time still, like, reminding people to clean their bagpipes and and helping people with reed maintenance and stuff like that. No, so um, the the organizational structure of, of Wasatch is, is ideal for a pipe major because I can just worry about the musical aspect of it. There's a lot of bands where the pipe major does everything, uniforms, travel, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. And that's just too much. They can't possibly keep up with it all, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, like uh, it's it's a great organization for that. Oh, tons of people are involved, and uh, we have like an executive board, a music committee, and you know we have all these different entities within the organization that that keep it running really well. Mm-hmm. And that means that I can just you know focus on making sure that we play better and uh, keep improving in that aspect. And so, yeah, it's, it's really great. It's ideal for a pipe major and yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel bad for our pipe major every time he sends out a practice reminder. And I just think, man, maybe I should, maybe by, instead of feeling bad, I should step up and do something. Right. But I just think to myself like this poor guy, he's doing so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But sometimes we don't know anything different, you know, like I, like it's, it has surprised me over the years as I've got little glimpses into how Wasatch works. Like I remember the first time that I realized I was talking with my buddy, Kevin, and he was talking about how like, it makes sense. And I was like, man, you're right. It makes sense. But I had never seen it this way before that like a pipe band can like lean on people who are not competition players within the band. Like those committees, those, they, they can be um, filled with humans who are interested in the pipe band who are not playing pipes and drums. Yeah, yeah. We actually have a lot of people in, in our different committees that don't play at all in any of the comp- – they're, they're like relatives or moms who are just interested in, you know, mm-hmm. the organization and, you know, providing an outlet for their, you know, kids to, to have a hobby and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. And it's it's like a mental block that I still, even when I recognize it, I still have a hard time getting over it sometimes. Because sometimes it's like, we'll have people come to our band's like little free class or something. And I'll think like, oh, that person could sure help us a lot, you know, with like, you know, a- any sort of like job of like, you know, scheduling parades or anything like that. And I think, oh, but, we, you know, we can't ask them. They're not, they don't play pipes or drums. We can't ask them. That would be, I'd be, uh, you know, imprudent. I'd be bothering them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, what about soccer? You left it behind, but do you still get excited about it? Do you have a favorite team or a club? I think you're supposed to say club, right, <laughs> when you're talking about uh, football? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Like, yeah, I still like to to watch it. Um, I like Real Salt Lake. They're a great team. They're fun yeah. to watch. I yeah, I definitely have gone to a few of their games and stuff. So yeah, mm-hmm. I still like it definitely. Yeah. So, do you play recreationally at all? <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I I wouldn't go that far. Gotcha, so gotcha. <laughs> nothing wrong with being a spectator and appreciating it for what it is. Yeah, yeah. So have you ever been interested in branching out to other stuff? I know that right now bagpiping takes up a lot of your time, but, uh, you know, do you have other, whether it be musical, musical or otherwise, I mean, even turning stuff, do you turn bowls too? Or is it, is it all pipes all the time? A little bit. Um, actually I would say like, uh, what I like to do is for sort of a hobby that's related to making bagpipes is I like to restore old furniture. Oh, so that's sort of what I get into when I'm not, you know, doing bagpipe stuff. And yeah. it's a lot of fun. Um, I've done a lot of fun projects that with that. So, yeah. yeah. Do you do you get excited about Antiques Roadshow? You're watching, <laughs> oh, look at that chair. What a great chair. Yeah, no, I love it. Actually, my, my favorite show, it was recently taken off of Netflix, but it was called The Repair Shop. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they just, like, fix old cool things yeah <laughs> i watched like, an episode where they fixed an accordion i thought it was awesome yeah yeah, yeah. sometimes they get instruments and stuff so yeah. no I, I love that stuff so yeah yeah super cool so um do you have any like you 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 did mention that you you don't necessarily remember learning but you are so much in this world and you've been around like what kind of advice do you give to people um maybe I, I would say people who are new to it, but I'm kind of curious. Do you have advice for someone like me? Let's make this all about me, Ross. Okay. I've, I've been playing pipes for uh, like oh, about 20 years. I didn't start as early as you did. I, I started with the Payson High School program. So I started yeah. like junior high. Um, and like, I really love it. And it's a lot of fun. Sometimes I don't, I'm not that committed to it, but I want to be like, I'm kind of, I feel like I'm floating in the middle somewhere, you know, like, what yeah what 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 is what what can i do to improve my piping ross moral like what 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 can a a normal average dude like me what's some general uh uh generic advice that you might give well i i think first of all um you gotta figure out and be you know confident in what you want your piping to do for you if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so it's not going to be the same for everyone like I'm hardcore. Like I couldn't even really call piping my hobby anymore. It's actually my full-time job. Yeah. Um, which is, which is nice, but obviously not everyone has to be like that and not everyone has to be to the level of grade one band or, you know, or even a competition soloist. So, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, for anyone, like, it's just a good hobby to have no matter what I think. Mm. Uh, I think everyone needs a good hobby, something that they can, uh, work on and improve themselves through and but it doesn't have to be to any specific level you just have to decide what that level is for you you know like hey I want to just be a playing member in this grade five band or grade you know three band or I just want to play grade four solos so figure out what you want to do with piping and there's so much right you could just you know play on your own or find other musicians to play with. So there's, there's tons of options out there, figure out what you want to do. And then, um, then set some goals, um, in that aspect, you know, Mm. 
Well, that makes a lot um, of sense. Sometimes, so that's sometimes my... it does feel like if I'm not if I'm not playing like if I'm if I'm not playing as good as Ross, then I might as well not be playing at all. No, if, not I'm, at all. if I'm not Stuart Little, then what am I doing here? You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Because it could be the same for everyone. You know, like there's always someone who's who's better or you know does X skill better. You yeah. know, for anyone. So it's not a it's not a good way to to look at your hobby. Mm. Oh, I appreciate that. Oh, do you um have any what while you were with Triumph Street or maybe otherwise I'm I'm only I'm only vaguely aware of the um the Cape Breton piping uh tradition. I'm I'm intrigued. It makes me feel excited. I recently listened to an episode uh of the Way Too Twag Bagpipe and History podcast where he interviewed uh, I think his name is Barry Shears, who's this big uh Cape Breton piper and a lot of yeah. the stuff he talked about man got me excited it's not, it was just some cool stuff did you have you have you encountered that kind of world of like sub world of piping or other sub worlds of piping that get you excited or are you like a competition guy through and through hmm I'm trying to think I'm not super familiar with the Cape Breton stuff um mm-hmm. my friend Justin Howland is a lot more he played with a with a baggage mm. um which was cool I don't know if it's even the same. So yeah, I'm not super familiar with with that sub world. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a little bit. I'm familiar with like small piping and and you know Celtic ensembles. My dad played in a Celtic ensemble for mm-hmm. most of my life. Um, I can play small pipes and I make them as well. They're very fun to make. <laughs> yeah, actually, that was before I ever saw a set of your Highland pipes. Um, I saw a set of your small pipes. You were, you had a set at a. Um... Oh, it's that one that uh, Jameson does, that Piping in the Desert competition. Oh, yeah, yeah. You'd brought a set to one of those a few years ago, and uh, they, they sounded and looked really cool. That was the first that I was aware that anybody in Utah was making pipes. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're super fun, so, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit familiar with that. I'm not actually, compared to my dad especially, I'm not a great small pipe player because um, growing up, I just wanted to be a good Highland Piper. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm and focus on the the one skill but um when i started making them i figured i should be able to play them a little bit so yeah. <laughs> um it, i learned so a little bit with that yeah and you do play them with bellows right <laughs> yep yeah right on now do you make your own reeds as well uh for for small pipes i make everything and that's partly why they're so much fun to make i make the bag and the bellows and the reeds and everything mm. um so uh that's that's a a lot of fun um i don't for highland pipes and part of the reason is with with small pipes um there's not so many super established makers and there's so many different uh styles Mm. that it's better to just learn to make your own reeds and bags for for the style of pipes that that you're specifically making Mm. uh but for highland pipes um it's not exactly the same and and some of the skills are more complicated like pipe bag making is different because it's a wet system rather than a dry one mm-hmm. um so i don't do all the reeds and, and bags and stuff for highlands but for small pipes i do mm, gotcha gotcha that's super cool what 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 do your other family members other than your dad what do your other family members think about your uh many many hours spent on piping stuff (laughs) 
I guess some of them would be annoyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially my youngest sister. <laughs> At this point, they have to have accepted it, though, right? There's no yeah, hope yeah, of this yeah. ever changing. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think so. Um, my oldest sister, Mackenzie, actually teaches Highland dance, and mm. she's very successful at that. Um, and she's probably the one that's most into the sort of world of, you know, Scottish culture other than myself mm -hmm. and my dad. Yeah. Everyone else has sort of just come to terms with it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just have to, th them and your neighbors as well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luckily, especially up at uh, my dad's house, where, where our shop is, um, our only neighbor is my uncle and his whole family is into it as well to one extent or another. Yeah. So <laughs> works out. That's the way to do it. You got to surround yourself with people who will at least tolerate, if not also be excited about it. Right. Yeah. Now, who do you think, Ross, and go ahead and go ahead and uh, you don't have to be bashful about this. Who is your biggest fan? Who is my biggest fan? Yeah. I don't, probably my dad, I would Aww. say. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Your dad is like a staple of the scene for me. I, I, like, like when I think of your dad, I immediately see him standing in the prep area at the pacing games, just helping everybody tune up. Tune up, yeah. Whether they're in his <laughs> band or not, just helping people tune as they head over to compete for the solos. Yeah, yeah. That's He's awesome. A... You guys have been able to share a hobby and not lose your relationship because I think that could tear a relationship apart, honestly. <laughs> I think it could. I think it actually brings us together. Um, That's good. We, Other than piping, we actually don't have a lot in common. It's <laughs> <laughs> so a good thing there's piping, huh? <laughs> yeah, so it like really keeps us together and um, it connects us in a, in a very strong way. Yeah. Um, now, where you've been playing for a really long time, Ross, um, do you have any absolute favorite tune that you feel like is evergreen like you've known it for a long time but you keep coming back to it because it just feels so good or sounds so good like you're never going to stop loving that tune um oh geez the f actually the first one that comes to mind it's a tune that I'll, I'll never stop playing in solos ever is mrs mcpherson of inveran actually mm. did that so, was that a gordon duncan tune uh no Oh, okay. My bad. It's, he, it's he's got old... so many that are named after people. <laughs> it's hard to keep yeah. track of them. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a it's a pretty famous reel. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and I just love the tune, and I've played it for solos for a long time, and I I probably always will. Awesome. What about tunes that are on your list that you want to learn? What's at the top of that list that you haven't got to yet? Tunes that I want to learn. Or are there any? Maybe you've learned all the tunes. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> no. your life. Maybe you know everything. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm always trying to learn new music, even if I don't like plan to use it. Yeah. Uh, I just, it's just very useful skill. It helps keep the memory sharp and the, and the, you know, music reading good. Yeah. So, um, I'm always learning new music. Um, I'm currently learning. So my favorite composer is Donald McLeod by far. Um, with, amongst my friends and bandmates, it's almost a joke, you know, like, cause we play a lot of Donald McLeod music and, mm. and I play a lot for solos, but I was, I'm just recently learning a Donald McLeod March called Eileen Donan Castle, mm. named after the famous castle over in Scotland. And it's a beautiful March. So that's, that's top on my list right now. I've almost got it. Yeah. Do you have any um, regular strategies that you employ to memorize music? I, I just I recently talked to Swan about Stephanie Burns book about memorizing music. So I'm curious if you have any practices that you that you use. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, 
that's that is an interesting question um i wish i could uh teach the skill a little bit better than i do mm. uh, i think that the way that i learned bagpiping was mostly by ear and by mimicking i didn't read music until i was in high school actually wow, and really? already, that long yeah that long i'd already been playing for a long time and in in high school i decided i have to learn how to read music so i did <laughs> yeah. um uh so because of how I learned to play, um, memorizing music is, I think, a little bit easier for me just because mm. my brain functions uh, primarily around the melody of a tune. Yeah, uh, more that makes than, sense. Like you're more hearing than, it and feeling it more than seeing it. Yeah, more than lo like picturing notes on a page right. and, and following along, you know. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, my, I, I, I guess that means my biggest uh, advice was to be able to hum the melody of a tune and that's going to help you memorize it faster mm. than anything else in my opinion no that that makes a lot of sense that jives with um i think it was swan who was telling me that he'd he'd like um oh not proctored what's the word uh stewarded for i think it was Stuart little for a dojo thing yeah i think that that's what he was talking about when he told me this mm, maybe i'm wrong he'll he'll let me know if i'm wrong <laughs> but i think it was Stuart little who said that he would when he's learning a tune first he listens to it in as many varieties as he can find it like mm -hmm. any, anytime anybody's recorded it he wants to find that and listen to it and then he sings it and only after that does he start playing it um so that that jives with stuff i've heard from other people as well yeah and, yeah and i do find it interesting that Ross, it seems like, you know, this this sort of like mythical past of, of like the, the Peabrook tradition and stuff like that, right? That we're like the bag playing bagpipes, well, playing any kind of music certainly goes back beyond the invention of written uh, music, you yeah. know, written staff music. And so it's like you in miniature in your own lifetime have been able to experience like this longer expanse of history of learn how to learn music, you know? Yeah. It's I, like I you guess were, so, you were yeah. centuries ago when you were a child and then you and you got got caught up to the modern age in high school and that's it's kind of cool you got like this sort of like full breadth experience of of music learning yeah yeah it, it is interesting yeah. so yeah so like um a lot of parade tunes especially parade tunes you know like you know like green hills Bowser is a good example right. i never um was taught it and i never looked at any music for it i but just you probably don't remember not knowing it huh yeah exactly so like i just picked it up during parades you know yeah, it's like in your and, blood at this point yeah and funny side story like because of that like i sort of inserted some of my own embellishments you yeah, know through that yeah, process <laughs> and when i went to play a triumph street they teased me over a couple of them and, and had me fix them <laughs> and that was kind of funny but you know there was no hard feelings because it's like i didn't actually learn this tune i just picked right. it up yeah, that, that you ought to you ought to someday write a little book of uh, call them Rossisms or something, like little, <laughs> little uh, embellishments that you and only you have have come up with. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about um, what about uh, uh, people to listen to? Who are some of your favorite uh, pipers or pipe bands to listen to recreationally? Um, the pipe band that I listen to most is Field Marshal Montgomery. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just simply because I think their their pipe core is the best it's ever been. Um, I just love listening to them. I'm a, I'm a huge tone guy, you know, as a pipe maker and stuff. Oh, of course. That makes sense. And uh, their tone is is just silly good. So, like, <laughs> they're fun to, fun to listen to. So that's probably the pipe band I listen to most. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, I, I'd imagine that most people listening are familiar with them, but just in case they weren't, do you have a favorite album of theirs? Um, whether it's because of material or because of how it was recorded, um, you know, if, if someone was like, I've never listened to them, where would you tell them to start? Oh, geez. Where would I tell them to start? Um, actually, I like listening to them most at their competitions, so mm, that might be gotcha. a, so a little bit. Hop on YouTube bit. or something, huh? Yeah, yeah. There's a great uh, YouTube channel called Drone Chorus, mm. and uh, he for years has just gone to all the major championships and recorded everything. Why and did, Why didn't I know about this? I don't know. It's, it's a fantastic YouTube channel that I, I listen to a lot. And yeah, they're pretty great quality recordings too, given that they're, they're made live and right. at a contest. Right. So, well, I'll be subscribing today. Shoot. Yeah, definitely. Do, yeah. Any listeners out there, go check out drone chorus on youtube and yeah they he's he's got a lot of phil marshall on there obviously because yeah. they're at all the majors <laughs> right because they're always there <laughs> they're always so there <laughs> so yeah now looking back at tunes again ross what um do you have any tunes that are like sort of your most requested whether it's from family well maybe your family members don't request anything at this point maybe they <laughs> no. more request please don't play but yeah. <laughs> you know what are what are some crowd favorites that you feel like get asked for a lot oh I think recently, like, people have been uh, asking to hear Highland Cathedral a lot, mm. which... Kind of a surge in interest in that tune, huh? Yeah, yeah. I remember, like, just pacing this year, like, somebody yelled out and kept yelling out, please play Highland Cathedral, and we didn't during mass bands. Mm. And so, like, I just struck up and started playing it afterwards. That's nice of you. <laughs> and a bunch of other pipers joined in, too, which was kind of cool. Because yeah, it was, cool. like, at the end of the day, the, yeah. it was all over. So, hey, why not? That's a nice attitude to have. That's very kind of you. Because I've, I've been in that at that moment many times myself where it's like, I am not playing my bagpipes for a week. <laughs> you know, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I get you. <laughs> well, that's nice of you to give the people what they wanted. <laughs> Now, if uh, if money were no object, Ross, what would be your um, piping related uh, thing? Would you get a piece of kit? Would you go on a trip? Like, what would be the thing you would do if you had a blank check to do it? Oh, if I had a total blank check, yeah. <laughs> I would definitely want to um, make like a like a Scottish center where it could have like rehearsal space and recording space and that kind of equipment in it. That would be my dream. Yeah. And hey, maybe, maybe even someday. a I like that. Maybe even a shop attached to it, you know. Like there you go. I'm I I'm not complaining about the shop I have, but like that might be cool. Yeah. So that that would be my piping related dream if I had if I had no limits on on cost. Yeah. Well, and speaking of your shop, t talk to me about this. How did you, like, at what point did you think to yourself, I'm going to make bagpipes? Did you do, like, <laughs> was there a wood class in high school where you started turning a bowl and then you went, wait, this is the same way they make bagpipes? Or, like, you know, how did you come to it? What, wh how did this happen? How did you end up making bagpipes? And for anybody listening who doesn't know, in the notes, uh, in the show notes, I'll have a link to Ross's website. The website's cool, but I would highly recommend following Moral Bagpipes on Instagram because there are some just, it's... <laughs> It's bagpipe porn is what it is. It's beautiful to look at and I can't look away. And it, it, it makes me drool every time you every time you post another picture of your pipes. They are just they look so pretty, man. Um, and they sound great too. So tell me how you how you got into making bagpipes. 
Okay, yeah. Oh, and real quick, on my Facebook channel, I post a video of every set I make because I test them all, and I always post a video. So you can also listen to to them on Facebook. Perfect. Um, uh, how did I get into bagpipe making? Uh, so um, the job that I had before starting bagpipe making, it's the job that got me uh, familiar with working a lathe. Mm. Um, it's a slightly different context, but like all the skills were were essentially transferable, right? Um, and so I did that for a while, but I was sort of unhappy doing that. Mm -hmm. um, what what was it, or or would you rather not say? Um, so it was this, it was essentially making uh, industrial parts. I would say. I see. And so, um, and I wasn't necessarily getting, you know, the best pay either. And so if I was like, if I'm not going to make a lot of money, I might as well do something I love. Hey, <laughs> yeah, man. And so, um, at that same time, my dad was retiring from teaching high school. Mm -hmm. And so he was about to have a lot of extra wait, time. Ross, wait, I'm sorry. We got to pause. I don't, I don't mean to throw you off the rails here, but we got to address this. Did your dad teach at the high school where you went to school? Um, yeah. Well, okay. Well then get off of these rails. <laughs> what was that like? Was that a positive experience? Cause that sounds like when I was in high school, that would have been my nightmare. I, I, I never actually had my dad, he taught uh, calculus and I was never good at math. So I never had him. <laughs> okay. Okay. Great. So you, you ran in different circles. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was not in that circle. <laughs> okay. All right. Well then let's let, we can hop back on the rails then. Uh, your dad was retiring then. Yeah, my dad was retiring, and uh, so he had a little extra time, and uh, all of his most his kids were all out of the house, and he has a pretty large house, and so he's like, "Hey, I got a lot of extra space," and um, it's always been a dream of his too to to make bagpipes and and be in that, and that's sort of what he wanted to get into after he retired. Yeah, cool retirement project. Yeah, but he realized he. You didn't necessarily have the the right skills, but I sort of did. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's like, "Hey, do you want to do this?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's definitely do it." Yeah. <laughs> and so we started um, just doing a lot of experimentation, and we did that for a few years. And yeah, I've heard echoes like people who know you mentioning like how you looked at the interior bores of like you know like what world war one era lorries or something and and exterior profiles from uh you know from more modern mccallums or something you know like all kinds of comparisons and tests and 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 stuff to find your final sort of shape do you have one bore and one profile that you do or do your are your pipes different from one set to the next so um when i when i started making bagpipes i wanted them i wanted to sort of uh, help influence a change in the general attitude of pipe making. Um, for about you know 100 years or, or probably even longer, they've they've all looked kind of the same, right? They're yeah. just black and you know. <laughs> same combing and beading and everything. Same too. combing and yeah. beading and African blackwood has been you know the go-to. I didn't know you could make them out of other stuff. Honestly, I thought that was the only option. Yeah, and I actually think that the reason for that is that uh, African blackwood is so pleasant to turn. Mm. Um, so pipe makers are like, why would we use anything yeah. else? It's so pleasant. Um, but it is an endangered species now and it's getting harder and harder to get. Yeah. 
and that was the case even when we were starting and so i never just i never even planned on on using it much so we we already started experimenting with different woods and and stuff like that right from the from the get-go i've actually not made a set out of african blackwood oh at really all. yeah we have enough african blackwood that we've sort of just snapped up here and there that i can but mm -hmm. i'm sort of saving it for someday i don't know sure uh so yeah we just started doing a lot of experiments both with wood and 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 board dimensions the board dimensions that i do i actually have three different board dimensions uh styles that we that we do mm -hmm. uh one is based off of a set of 1909 hendersons mm. uh the other is based off of a set of old glens we're actually not sure the the age but they're they're old <laughs> Um, and then the third is, is a combination of the two actually we use the Henderson bass and the Glen tenors. And mm. it's actually a really beautiful, uh, combination. And that's sort of become my standard, uh, or model. If people want the, the full Henderson's or the full Glens, I'll do it. Uh, but my standard is, is that sort of combination. And, and I know it can be hard to describe sounds, um, but how would you describe that sound profile when you've got the the Henderson bore and the and the Glenn tenor, tenors? What would, what would you call it, or what adjectives would you use to describe it? Um, what a, I guess the best way to explain it is by contrasting it with with either one. You mm -hmm. know, so Hendersons have a have a really prominent drone sound. They're they're they're. I would call it punchy, very, very aggressive, you know, mm -hmm. and the bass is huge and sort of encompassing. Right. But, but the tenors cut through it, um, really sharply as well, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, so it creates a, a, a harmonic that's, that's kind of, uh, big and ringy. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, by using the, the Glenn tenors instead of the, the Henderson tenors, it sort of softens the harmonic and 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 makes it a little more deep. Um, so it's going to the harmonics are going to show up bigger on our lower notes like B, um, A, you know those kind of mm. uh, low hand notes, and it's just it's just really beautiful and pleasant. Well, it might so, be cool. Uh, maybe I'll insert audio from one of your Facebook videos right here so that people can kind of hear us at play in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and just um, with I, this, let me give a disclaimer real quick though that like streaming quality does have an effect on what what the listener will hear right now, and so you know it's going to sound cool, but like hearing them in person would be even better, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely not the same. Um, but yeah, you can get a good idea of that. Um, actually, the, my uh, along with that, my favorite wood actually that I've used so far is a wood called leadwood. I think it it provides the best tone and i'll actually send you a, a link to a video of of that specific oh, wood perfect. with the the sort of hybrids that we call it which perfect. which is the Henderson bass and the glen
other like I know that people use cocobolo. I've seen that one around. Yeah, um, it's a great wood. What 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 are your favorite? Like, is lead wood your absolute favorite at this point, it, or what other stuff have you done? Yeah, so for for pure sound, lead wood is my my all time favorite. Mm. I'm actually making myself a set out of lead wood right now. The mm. last bit of lead wood we have, it's kind of hard to find, unfortunately, and we're sort of we sort of have to keep our eye out, you know, and get it when we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's um, it's good enough that I'm like, no, I'm making me a, a set that I can play solos on. Yeah. Um, so Leadwood is, is my favorite as far as sound goes, but it's, um, not my favorite as far as, as far as looks go. I think Kingwood would probably be my favorite mm. looking wood. It's got a really prominent grain and, um, it's sort of a purplish wood. Yeah. It's really pretty. <laughs> yeah. That's, so, that's one I'm, I'm no, I'm no wood connoisseur, but by any means, but that is one that I'm familiar with because it is, yeah, that's, it's darn pretty. Um, what yeah. do you, have you ever done a set for somebody out of like a sentimental wood? Like somebody brings you, you know, like I used to play in the major leagues. Here are three bats that I used to hit home <laughs> runs. Will you turn them into, into drones for me or, or, you know, a tree that they chopped down from their backyard or something like that. You ever done like a sentimental set? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm totally of the mindset that I'll, I'll try anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so like I've made some pretty weird sets as far as sentimental woods go. There was a guy in Texas, and he wanted uh, pipes made purely out of native Texan wood, right? Oh, sure, yeah. And so we made the main body of the pipes out of a wood called Bodark, which, when it's first turns, looks like the color of bananas. Like, it's really? yellow. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And, and Bodark, so, that sounds like the name of a dude from Texas. So that's just yeah, a really great name. <laughs> that's, I, I forget the other name. It has another name, too, but yeah. Anyways, Bodark and the the wood that we used for highlights is was persimmons. So, um, and they were he actually sent me the persimmons from his backyard. Yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah, and so we made that set, and yeah, it was funky looking. Eventually, it'll it'll turn this uh, really beautiful golden brown. But mm. like, <laughs> when it's first turn, and it looks like bananas. <laughs> I, I, that is one thing you mentioned that you used another wood for accents. That's one of the things that I like most about your pipes. Part, partly that, like, maybe it's just because I'm tired of seeing so much combing that, like, I get excited about non-combed pipes, no matter where they're coming from. Yeah. Um, it, which, which, you know, combing is fine. Probably if I hadn't seen it so much, I'd still be excited about it. But the thing I love most about the visual aspect of your pipes is that you're using usually two tones of wood to accent each other instead of relying on metal to accent the the main wood um i do think that looks really pretty yeah yeah i like it a lot i like doing it and experimenting with it and yeah we we put a lot of thought into you know which woods goes with which and stuff like that so Mm. yeah hello friends just a quick note to make you aware this podcast is something that i love doing and i will keep doing it no matter what but if you want to send me money i won't say an a the easiest way to do that is through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash droningonpodcast. We do regular drawings for bagpipey albums, books, sheet music, and more, including Droning On Swag. All patrons are in the figurative hat from whence the names of winners are drawn. And there are other benefits to members as well. They're all listed there at patreon.com slash droningonpodcast. And speaking of swag, another way to support the show is to buy cool stuff from my little online shop, bagpipeswag.com. There you can find droning on stuff as well as other pipey and drummy things that my uh, that my friends and I make. 
And if you feel so inclined, I genuinely invite you to follow the show on Facebook. It's super fun to have a way to interact over there, uh, to discuss past episodes, and I also uh, like to bounce ideas off of, off of you, my friends, uh, ask you for input on upcoming interviews, that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd like to invite you to join in on virtual book clubs and uh, probably lots of other cool stuff that uh, I just haven't even thought of yet as of this recording. It's easy to find. Just get on Facebook and search Droning On Podcast. And if Instagram is more your jam, we're also on there at droning.on.podcast. You can also email the show at thedroningonpodcast at gmail.com. And links to these sites, social media accounts, and more are in the show notes. Leaving the show a positive rating and review helps others to find it, so feel free to do that. And thank you again for listening, you cool human you. Well, and I kind of messed up the chronology of the story, too. So sorry, let me pull you back again. Your, your dad had retired. He said he had some space. He said, hey, Ross, you want to come do this? You were like, heck yeah, let's do it. Where'd you, where'd you go from there? Yeah, so we just started experimenting a lot. And then um, once we started finding things we liked, we started making sets and then, you know, posting about them and, and stuff like that. And then, you know, people eventually got interested enough to that I, you know, started uh, doing orders for people. Yeah. Did you, um, having had the experience that you had, did you know exactly what equipment you wanted as in lathe chisels, that kind of stuff? Or did that, what did that require some experimentation as well? Um, a little bit. And we definitely ref refine our equipment, you mm. know, um, as, as time has passed. So that's been nice. Yeah. <laughs> At first it was, it was a lot, uh, more of a struggle. Mm -hmm. Now we have better equipment and it's easier. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll I'll tell you, Ross. I, I I'm an aspirational wood turner. I I had just I had just started. Zach Lee's had started teaching me just like in the year before he passed away, and so at this point, part of it is like this sentimental block that I haven't gone back to it much. But I turned I turned one bowl, and I thought it went well. Of course, it warped like crazy afterward. Looked terrible. Um, I got this little like hundred dollar rusty um, lathe that I bought off of a guy from his backyard. Oh, uh, cool close by so maybe it's the equipment but the last thing i tried to make i was trying to make a vase and i put this it, it was a log that had already been cut into a cylinder and i got it really well centered and everything got it on there nice and tight i started turning it and as i started getting the profile just barely started it shot off the lathe and yeah. it, it didn't kill me but man it scared me about bad enough that <laughs> like even if it weren't for the sentimental reasons to to be hesitant about going back to it i I'm scared. And, and so I think about you making bagpipes and maybe, you know, the image that comes to mind is like those YouTube videos of like the beautiful ribbons of wood flying off over your shoulder and stuff. It seems so Zen, but my personal experience was horrifying. <laughs> and so have you had any injuries or like, what, like, what, what has that experience been like for you? Um, yeah, at first it was a little bit scary because the materials I used when I learned to you, uh, work a lathe, we're a lot more predictable than wood. Wood yeah. is, is notoriously unpredictable. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. And so like, yeah, you can be lathing along and, and not notice a knot and hit it just right. And it can be scary. Yeah. I mean, I broke a few tools before that incident too, you know, and it's like, man, that could have been my finger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we think um, of this as being like, almost like whittling, like, oh, good for, good for the pipe makers. They have a lovely little, little life, but man, I think it's a high risk occupation, honestly. <laughs> it can be a bit scary as you get more and more experience, you sort of, um, get used to, to working with the wood, you know, yeah. the signs and especially as you get familiar with the specifics of wood, you know, some are more 
finicky than others so you're mm. just going to be a little bit more on guard um and just take the appropriate safety precautions too obviously yeah. is just helps you feel that confidence so yeah zach, zach did one time he got a he got a chunk of wood stuck in his eye and if I remember right, he was wearing a face mask, but it went up under the face shield and got yeah. in the eye. So from then on, personally, I always wore my glasses because I need them to see. And then yep. goggles on top of those. And then a face shield over that as well. <laughs> I wasn't going to risk it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah, that's it's definitely important. But yeah. So what about your dad? Did he Has he ever ended up learning? Like, did you teach him the skill set to turn as well? Or has this ended up kind of being that you do it? Uh, so I do most of the the turning and stuff yeah. he definitely helps with that and enjoys it um he's he runs a lot more of the business ass mm. side of that which yeah. works out good for me because i'd rather just be on the lathe and be mm. the artist so um yeah it works out pretty good yeah what about the leather work was there much of a learning curve there to make your bags and your bellows um a little bit not not too not too bad um again like i had relevant skills from a previous job <laughs> nice this was all lining um, up wasn't it yeah it was it, it actually it did all seem very serendipitous when i yeah. started like when i started to hit a stride making bagpipes it felt right it felt good mm. you know it felt like oh like i found what i was supposed to do yeah almost you know yeah so yeah the leather there's a there's a little bit but i also had some some uh previous skills that were relevant in that and that's that's a lot of fun too i like the the leather work yeah well if the woodwork has translated into also doing some like furniture restoration and stuff like that has the leather work turned into like do you do any you know like fancy cowboy wallets or anything like that <laughs> you think about sporins sometimes i or... don't i need i need to though yeah because i have a lot of scrap leather sitting around yeah, man. you can make some stuff skin, yeah I... skin do sheaths and stuff like that yeah, I need to get into that. That's a that's something I haven't done yet. Yeah. Well, wh what else do you make? I mean, at this point you you're you're kind of an artist by trade whether it's whether it's making music or or making, you know, stuff out of wood and leather. Uh do you I mean, what do you paint? Do you sketch? What else do you do? Um, I in the past I used to do a lot of painting. I don't anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty busy, um, right? Yeah. So, I like do I like doing that. I like I like writing actually. So, yeah, yeah, I guess what, I've what already kind of, sort of been a, an artist at heart. Sure. What, what kind of writing do you do? Are you, are you a poet or are you a storyteller? No, I've written some, uh, like, fantasy novels. Oh, really? Have they been published? Yeah. Should no, I be, not, Should I be reading these? No, not at all. <laughs> hey, where can we get them, man? Let's, it, let's get these rolling. They're not available yet. <laughs> I'm, uh, my, my biggest fan is actually my girlfriend, and she's always on my case about uh, finishing yeah. the, the series. That's a good girlfriend. I know, so I got to get on it. I owe her. So, if you've been writing fantasy, what what fantasy do you like to read? Who do you who do you like to read, or what genres oh, do you like to read? So many. Yeah, everything. Oh <laughs> um, my, yeah, my favorite uh, fantasy writer right now is called Terry Mancor. Mm. He writes a series called the Spellmonger series. So there's my nerdiness there. <laughs> yeah, that's fine, man. That's fine. Hey, well, I so love it. Do, so, do you have strong feelings about the Wheel of Time series that's been rolling out? Do I have strong feelings about it? I like it. It's, yeah. it's a good series. Yeah. I haven't tried it out yet, but yeah. I, I, you uh, know, I, anything that people like, if there are, if there's a dedicated fan base, then you're going to have people who are angry and people who are enthusiastic. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you, if you like really complicated high fantasy, then 
you'll probably like it. If not, then it might not be your cup of tea. Yeah. I, I am, I am like religiously passionate about Tolkien and maybe because of that have not ventured much further than Tolkien. Like I end up just kind of reading stuff by Tolkien over and over again every single year. So maybe, oh, cool. maybe I should try other stuff too, but it's hard for me. Yeah, to, sure. It's hard for me to take a toe out of what's familiar and comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of, a lot of the genre is, is definitely owed to Tolkien. Yeah. Now, um, what about drums? Have you, have you picked up sticks or mallets? at any point yeah i played uh snare in a grade five band one year nice. just just so that i could you know learn the basics of uh, snare drumming so that and was fun do you feel like it did stuff for your piping like would you recommend this to other pipers that they oh yeah pick if, it up that far especially if you're you know a pipe major mm. it's super useful to have that ensemble experience now, did you learn snare in a similar way to how you learned pipes, where you'd been hearing it so much that a lot of that was kind of by ear and imitation, or was that more of an academic study where you sat down and looked at a book? Um, not a little bit. I mean, I've been I've been around pipe bands for so long, and I've been at so many contests. And any player who who's been to a lot of contests knows there's a lot of downtime. So mm -hmm. yeah. you're sitting around the the tents with your friends, and you know you pick up some sticks and start <laughs> learning some basics yeah just yeah. just for fun and then and then i did make it a bit more when i wanted to actually be like hey i want to play with the band i made it a bit more academic and had an instructor and stuff mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so when it comes to bagpipes piping the, the the music the competition drumming any any and all of this the history of it the the intricacies of how to do it um is there anything that kind of comes to your mind, Ross, as something that you want to learn more? You, you want to know more about that thing over there? Oh, I think for me, it's probably Peabrook. Um, I'm a competent Peabrook player, I would say, but I got started in Peabrook relatively late, mm -hmm. like very late, like in my 20s, mm -hmm. mid 20s. If it makes you um, feel any better, I'm in my 30s and I still don't feel like I'm started. So there, <laughs> at least there are people later than you. <laughs> yeah. No, the, I think and any time is a good time. I actually make all my students learn a little bit of Peabrick just because I think it's so good for, for your general piping knowledge and playing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I definitely feel deficient in, in, in that aspect of my playing. Mm -hmm. And so it's my goal to be a better Peabrook player and just to know more about it. So there's so much history in, in Peabrook. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ross, um, I'm pushing on an hour here. Is there anything that you'd like to throw out there as like a, a plug for your, for your cool pipes or um, any, any topic that we haven't, haven't breached that would be fun to talk about? Um, I don't know. I guess as far as plugs goes, yeah, just go go check out my bagpipes. And if you're interested in, in custom bagpipes, um, then, yeah, get in touch. Yeah. Um, it's always just been my goal to, to sort of change how bagpipes, you know, look. Mm -hmm. um, and so if if that's something you're also interested in, then, yeah, well, let's make it happen because there's so much you can do visually with bagpipes that's just not been done yet. So, yeah. um, I think that that's, that's too bad. Yeah. So that's just my plug. Um, and yeah, 
I can't, I don't know. What else would there be to talk about? Well, I, I, I do often ask people how they feel about pineapple on pizza. What do you think of that? Oh, I think it's fine. I, I don't know. I don't understand the huge the yeah. huge conflict. Do you think it's fine as in like you like it or like eh, to each his own? Let, let people do what they want with their own pizza. I mean, it's not my favorite pizza, but I'll eat it yeah. and enjoy it. It's There's no delicious. pizza in the world I wouldn't eat personally. Yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, it's hard to mess up a pizza that, you know. Amen. Um, so I think it's I think it's good. But also to each their own, you know. Like, yeah. what's up with all the people getting butthurt over pineapple on pizza? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice man well at some point during the last like three minutes i'll find a good spot for it to kind of gracefully fade out okay um and i usually kind of just fade into drones and then it ends and so oh, i'll just, nice. I'll just...